Hi, I'm Ricardo Deacon. And I'm Marla McGuinness. And this is a recommendation game, a weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other is not seeing. We watch and then we meet to discuss it. And this week we're joined by a very, very special guest. Film critic for <laughs> Totally Dublin. And more importantly, he has the honor of being my older brother, Felipe Deacon. <laughs> Welcome. Hi, how you doing? I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. Thank you for having me. Very, quite excited about it. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Good banter um, already. I'm telling you, Jesus. <laughs> this week's film was picked by Felipe. Uh, it is Beyond the Black Rainbow from 2010, directed by Panos Cosmatos, produced by Oliver Lindsley and Christian Nordstoke, written by Panos Cosmatos, music by Sinoya Caves, cinematography by Norm Lee, edited by Nicholas T. Shepard, and production designed by Bob Bottieri, starring Michael Rogers. Eva Allen, Scott Highlands, Marlon Norrie, Rondell Reynoldson, and the IMDb synopsis is, despite being under heavy sedation, a young woman tries to make her way out of the Arborea Institute, a secluded, quasi-futuristic commune, which I think is one of the worst yeah. IMDb synopsis yeah, so far. Although, well. I don't know, I don't know, because the bar's pretty fucking low for... <laughs> The old synopsis on IMDb. Well, but like the movie doesn't, the synopsis doesn't get anything of the film right. (laughs) Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, I suppose. That is true. It's kind of, it's keeping the secrets. Um, So Felipe, you chose this film. Why? Uh, I think I was always going to pick a horror film because it's easily my favourite genre. I'm a bit of a horror nut. Uh, And I saw the films that you've had already on your podcast and uh, I realised that a girl walks home on a, alone at night has a vampire in it. Yeah, but it's not uh, really. Incidentally, I really like that film. Uh, yeah, I fuck you, Ricardo. Brother about it, but uh, <laughs> it has a vampire in it, but it's not a horror horror film. I don't think mm. the filmmakers were particularly interested in making a horror film. Uh, and I thought, okay, so I, I wanted to have one of those, and you got to get the the new the genre we haven't touched on yet. And I thought this film was quite interesting because it is a modern horror film. But in a lot of ways, it's really like a horror film from the 1970s or the 1980s. So I thought it was quite interesting because you have certain tendencies in it that are from the 1980s, Mm. but are looked at through a modern filmmaking prism. So I thought there'd be a good bit of stuff to unpack from it. So Orla, what's your take on that movie? Am I going first? (laughs) You are going first. And for the listener, there's anybody that knows me and my brother, there's more chances of Orla and him ganging up against me than (laughs) me and him ganging up against Orla. I think he he has agreed with me probably on most of our choices so far. So this this will be interesting. Um, uh, uh, (laughs) uh, Okay. I love how you... (laughs) When you're gonna give your take, your your sound effects always gives away your your point. Well, it's always yeah. I'm trying to set up exactly how I'm gonna kind of destroy your dreams. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> yeah, I I I I had problems problems with the film. Um, I think it's interesting that you picked it as a horror movie because one of my main problems with this film is that it's kind of so many things shoved into one. But it's not really doing any of them, like, effectively, if you know what I mean. Mm. So I think it, it has horror elements. Like, whenever I was watching I was like, oh, there's so many references going on here. Like, 
and I thought a lot about like um, I actually thought about uh, Under the Skin a lot yeah and like because it has that kind of you know, almost like art house like sci-fi horror element of it so like Under the Skin and I thought of like um, Enter the Void and, and films like that 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 kind of hallucinogenic but you know also the the kind of um art house creepiness yeah and then there are other elements of like more kind of clinical more sort of like straight sci-fi like 2001 or i thought about like sunshine and then i thought about like body horror like scanners and then then kind of at the end it sort of becomes like a slasher movie almost and it, it all these like different elements and not that there's any problem whatsoever with having a film that is combining an awful lot of like homages or influences or whatever because i thought a lot about um stranger things as well yeah which is obviously something that is wearing its influences on its you know you they're very very clear um and there's nothing wrong with that but i this film kind of felt sort of like indulgent somehow it felt like one person's kind of vision of taking all these things together and if someone had to come along at some point either in the script stage or in like development and taken the reins and made it into one thing or the other because it's like it's like a mood piece almost at certain points like it's it's this weird like it's all these different influences and all these different like but like seen through this weird like druggy haze almost and there's nothing wrong with the idea of the, the kind of like hallucinogenic, not even hallucinogenic, but like that weird, like, f- you know, fuzzy at the edges of the screen. There's nothing wrong with that like idea. But for me, it just didn't quite come together. And it felt like I, it needed someone to come along and either go along with the fuzzy mood piece kind of side of it or else go there with the kind of B-movie aspects of it yeah. and make it, you know, it just, I don't know, it felt like all these things. And then... I'm talking for a very long time, I apologize. <laughs> and then at the same time You're doing it a is, Ricardo. It is so fucking slow. Oh my god, this is like it's like this is like it's like hundred and ten minutes or something and felt much longer. But like there are death there's things I I really liked about it as well, but overall it just didn't uh Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, first of all, I thought for parts of the movie that I was watching, there was uh, Ex Machina, but had yes, done a yes. ton of drugs yes. before watching <laughs> I it. I thought of Ex Machina as uh, well. Even though Ex Machina came out after this, yeah. so it's obviously not well, an it's, influence yeah. in the movie, but it's, it's very similar yeah. in that aspect. But what I would call this movie would be a Ricardo in a Night Out kind of movie. <laughs> that in the beginning is kind of shy and not assured. And then it becomes batshit crazy, but entertaining. And then it overindulges in itself. And then the wheels fall off the truck at the end of it. And 12 pints It in. doesn't quit while it's ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Literally, I, like it's a movie that it began. And I was going to be honest, quite bored by uh, most of it until she... Uh, the Eva character finally goes, makes her escape. Uh, excuse me, I think uh, Helena is the character, Eva is the actress. Ah, yes. Yes, he is uh, correct. He is correct. Until <laughs> Elena does the, the first moment that she reveals her powers, let's say, when she tries to take over the uh, Dr. Nile. Yeah. And after that, there's a whole section, that even like film wise, filmmaking wise, and the music as well just goes up a notch. 
and it goes for about 40 minutes of an hour and 40 minutes movie that i was like really fucking gripped by it but also it, it felt like a horror version of the holy mountain that is the biggest oh. influence is Jaradowski in this movie in every sense I of the word. Think of the Holy Mountain, actually. Yeah, even the the, 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 the design and, and the color palette and yeah. everything. It was like if uh, Jaradowski and Kubrick had sex yeah. and had a mutant baby. Oh, I didn't think of the Holy Mountain because I thought of Jodorowsky, but I didn't think of that's actually a really good reference. And uh, well, funny enough, I was like, <laughs> oh, Jaradowski's movie, The Mole, is <laughs> down somewhere, and I was like, what movie is that? Oh, El Topo. El Topo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the disappointments is that it didn't go uh, as far out with the yeah, gore as yeah. I thought it would. Once it took the approach, I thought, for example, when uh, Elena shows her powers to the nurse, that mm. it was going to have like a scanners moment uh, or yeah, no, video drone moment. Kinda, sorry. It falls flat yeah. or something because it doesn't quite commit. Uh, but, uh, well, my biggest issue with the movie is uh, one of those... Uh, that we've discussed before that it's the most frustrating thing for me that it's a movie that is right so much is done right and it gets so close to be something really special because i didn't mind the pacing and and so coming from like it it moves a lot faster than holy mountain and i (laughs) love the holy mountain yeah but i have no problem with slow movies either Mm. but it's just it's the way it's executed i think that I just, and especially like so much of it, you're running along with the with um with Barry. <laughs> I laughed so hard, and his name is Barry. But um, I just he he didn't he didn't creep me out, even mm. though like he is creepy. It, it the pacing it wasn't handled in a way that that kind of pacing can become very claustrophobic and very frightening and very unsettling, um, quite quickly if that doesn't make any sense. Whereas I, it, that, it just didn't happen for me. It got to the point where I was like, things were last, like the, the scenes were going on so long and shots were going on so long that it was just, it was sort of like trying my patience. But I do agree with you that there are things in this that show that he could be a really great filmmaker. And that that's what I mean when I wish that it had been taken and kind of... With, with the pacing, uh, I find it quite interesting because Cosmato said in an inf- interview that he saw the film as belonging to the trance genre and uh, he cited as the two key texts uh, Apocalypse Now and Last Year in Marion Bad. Yeah. And uh, and I thought that the film actually does a very good job of establishing that sort of dream logic when, you know, when you're having a nightmare and it feels like yeah, you're feels moving your like, feet yeah. through molasses yeah. and everything is a little bit slower and everything is a little bit heightened and there is a certain delay between your thought process and, your and action, what your body yeah. and what your actions are doing. And and I thought he actually did a really good job of establishing that sort of logic. I, 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 I felt that if you allowed yourself to get into the rhythm of the film, yeah, um, it, it actually kind of starts developing a really nice internal logic that that carries you all the way to the end, really like uh, I did have issues both times that I, the, I saw this on the second time for, for the podcast. Mm. And the first time I remember loving it all the way up to the last 10 minutes. And then I thought the the last 10 minutes, once the two drunk guys in the fire uh, appear, yeah, it was almost like the film was building up this head of steam and, and suddenly really... it just becomes a different film altogether. Yeah, it's, 
So the ending is really strange. Well, the, the actual ending ending where, like, whenever she kills him, I didn't have a problem with that necessarily because it felt like that's where it needed to go. But everything that happens before that with... Uh, but the way that he dies as well, it's uh, one of the, the, the worst endings I've seen in a, in a movie. Like, like, with <laughs> such a big, big build-up and he does a Sam Neill fall. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of Hilary Swank getting her neck broken it's a million fractured. dollar baby. <laughs> Uh, but no. I don't know I thought it was and I it, and I think it goes a little bit to what you were saying about his name being Barry uh, I think that is quite quite intentional that this guy who's meant to be this really intimidating figure whether you were intimidated by him or not yeah but, but he is meant to be this figure of fright and yet he has this mundane name Barry <laughs> and he has this kind of pathetic ending and, yeah. and the film in many ways ties back to H.P. Lovecraft and, yeah. and Lovecraft's protagonists were classic uh, protagonists such as Barry that catch a glimpse of something that they shouldn't see and end up having some sort of hubris and then have always these sad, pathetic, pathetic uh, denouements. Yeah. And I think to some extent that was intentional as well. Yeah, well, she... I think that it, what is amazing about Barry is that how can one person be both a discount Christian Bale and a discount Ray Fiennes in the same oh person? Oh my god, he is a Ray Fiennes. Not really good in the Christian Bale thing, though. No, no, no when he when he Bale. takes yeah. the the medicine and he smiles, it is an American Psycho fucking yeah, I moment. American yeah, Psycho, I, little, I can little. see. It, I don't like, know if that's just because it's like uh, the mirror and the yeah, the kind of close, but yeah, it's yeah, I kind of understand what you mean about how it's sort of like the difference between his character and her character and I ultimately she is stronger than he is mm. and that he is kind of this weak figure and even like even before he has his like you know untimely years <laughs> rather like uh hunt for the wilder people for <laughs> <it's fractured. laughs> um yeah like because even you can see kind of by the end that she's kind of have has more control over She's still clearly, even though she's like young and is trapped in this horrifying environment, she still has more control over it throughout. And they just get, she gets more like stronger and stronger, whereas he's just spiraling out of control. Like at the start, he's already like, you know, horrifically pent up and really, you know, he seems, he seems like he's in control because he's like controlling her in the Institute. Mm -hmm. And then also his, what's his, uh, his partner Rosemary called? Rosemary. Yeah. Like she's, wife. she's just basically yeah, in a stupor. Like there's... Well, yeah, and as well, she seems to have wandered out of the Fargo set, her <laughs> accent. <laughs> ah, Barry. I can't do a Minnesota accent, but it is I, Canadian. So it's not like, <laughs> but oh. Yeah, I I did uh, really like the the dynamic between the two characters, and I think that the the issue with the Elena character for me is just a cinematic uh, choice that the director does that I had an issue with, and is purely that you don't see her eyes as much as I would have liked yeah, just because of the really, camera angles you don't uh, really connect with her and it, yeah. she just I don't know she felt a bit it felt kind of predictable female in a sci-fi movie you know mm. and, and how like yeah. ultimately she's more pure than him because she's this young girl and she, she's not really given well I think that she's pro possibly darker than him because of the way that uh, she goes beyond the black rainbow well, yeah, but I think it's she's the, doing it without any it's the idea of identity there that is she's just being good in the point of view of the of the movie because she's dealing with a character that we know that is bad so she's been a blank slate at that, that time 
And then her goodness only comes from the fact that she's dealing with the evil characters, not any action in herself. That does she doesn't do any heroic. No, but I, I mean or... even kind of how, like you know, like at the end she's clearly sort of in control of like because he she trips him using her mind. She's like even in control of like her environment around her and like nature and not that she's pure and good, I suppose, but more that her powers are pure. You know what I mean? That that she like he's obviously like tainted by his experience in like the weird black goo. Um, whereas she's kind of coming through it as, as this kind of like untarnished. But I think to some extent as well, it is slightly misjudged to think of Barry as the villain of the film because Barry is just as much of a victim yeah. as, as Elena Which you is. Realize Dr. Whenever... Barriott is yeah. the real villain of the piece. Howard Hughes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that is quite intentional, I suppose. Uh, uh, but, but I do think I... I think the film is, to some extent, um, is a criticism of the whole '60s counter counterculture movement. Mm. But but he well, it is. It's a cult essentially, like so it's, it's, yeah, yeah, or the self help kind of yeah. wave. That the intro, like, the 60s. intro is great, actually. The the little video. Oh yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Like, uh, it, and it's quite funny that he says in 1983 as well. Uh, yeah. I think that's very intentional. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also known as the thing. year before 1984. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ricardo, for hammering uh, <laughs> that home. And it's just small things, but I really love the way that 1983 appears on the screen. Kind oh, of like the, the opening credits of the, Alien. Yeah. The, and then 1966 for the flashback. Yeah. And it's just black on white. Oh, uh, the flashback is by far the best moment in the movie. Like, it, it is uh, the moment that all the ideas and the actual filmmaking techniques that uh, he's using actually coalesce to uh, being more than just the sum of its parts. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the whole scene with uh, Arborea and, but even before is when all the ideas come together, as you said, that he's not really the villain, that he's a victim. Yeah. Set up at the start that Barry is the, the, not the, he sees like sort of put as like the creator of this and that he's like, you know, he's he's what we see at the start interrogating her and everything. So he seems like the villain. But like ultimately, he's just kind of sad and pathetic and as much of a victim as she is. But uh, I do 100% agree with you that the, the flashback is the best part of the film. I think is the whole center of the film is the flashback. Mm. And I think the the Kubrick comparisons, especially with 2001, are very much intentional. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I only noticed that obviously in the in the flashback he does his own version of going through the Stargate from the ending of 2001. Yeah. But I never realized until the first time I did that I watched the film I didn't realize how much this is actually a dark mirror to 2001. Uh 2001 is about the main like the, it ends with the protagonist going through the Stargate and coming out on the other side and becoming this evolved yeah, version like of man creation the, the, is the... the child the child star uh, or the star child i mean yeah uh, and if you realize this in in beyond the black rainbow the flashback doesn't end with barry coming out of the black goo the flashback ends with elena Him. as a baby being placed inside the black goo which is <laughs> circular and it is a black void version of the black of the star child at the end of 2001 yeah uh, so i think the film is very much doing a direct di- dialogue it's almost like a dark opposition of 2001 but it also implies that elena has come out as 
yeah. the evolution of mankind. It's but kind it's of an a... ugly, scary thing instead yeah. of this enlightenment that you get in 2001. Style-wise, what brought yeah, me the, the actual... Uh, once he goes beyond the Black Rainbows and when he crosses the threshold, what it reminded me more of was the first Hellraiser. When, uh, and I think <laughs> yeah. that is quite intentional. In that film. Yeah. Like that, it's what I liked in a way, even uh, being a movie that is quite slow paced. I can't think anybody that really, truly loves film can be bored just by spotting references. It's entertaining mm. enough. It's uh, almost a puzzle of... you saying I don't truly love film? <laughs> no, I didn't say... You didn't say you were bored. You, you said that it was glacial. Um, uh, yeah. But it, it does feel... It, it's like... The Holy Mountain, for example, that I referenced before, it is a movie that it's only about 20 minutes longer and it feels like a three hour long movie because it's very, very slow. But now one moment of that movie, I felt bored. Is, yeah. It's just like I, I love Tarkovsky since I saw the I saw one of his films for the first time and I never can say that I felt I feel more time has passed watching more Solaris or something that, yeah. than what it is. Or yeah. Stalker that we were talking earlier I think maybe perhaps today. it's kind of unfair to compare this director to Tarkovsky. But I'm going back, though, to, to like um, the, the style and everything and the comparisons with 2001. Um, like, because obviously like, you can see for a very direct thematic like comparisons and like... Um, that kind of parallels but I think it's interesting is what I kind of noticed immediately was um first of all I love the the color palette and pretty much the entire look of this film I think is amazing I looked it up um because I was I was interested if, to see if they had actually shot it in film which they had but they yeah, shot yeah. it on um the Panaflex gold which is actually like that came out in the 80s so oh, yeah, it's the it's, grainiest movie yeah, I've ever seen. So but it's, 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 it's so hard to you cannot achieve that look, like because it's it's beautiful. It is so seventies. Every like everything about the frame is seventies. Like the the set design, art department, and everything. But it's funny that for me it felt like the opposite to shout out to production designer uh, Bob Bottieri for this Thank time I included in the in the list that you, we usually don't include but well, I thought that it needed it's to very, be very important here so much of this film is very um, like sensual and very kind of um, sexualized and the kind of like the fuzzy blurriness at, at times so much of it feels like being in a womb it's like this weird of like colour and complete polar opposite to the kind of cold clinical Kubrickian the kind of the parallels and then the comparisons but also like the the opposites i thought that was kind of interesting uh there's there's kind of a direct moment whenever it becomes the other movie which is whenever she turns up in the um it's like a rec room or something it's like you know it's like you know where people go to have their break it's like you know what I mean? it's like there's like a vending machine and like weird uh, i was ready for a, a night shalaman uh, <laughs> i was i was expecting it to be like the village or something at the end that it was just like <laughs> just all like made up and it was like no days yeah oh you know i, I totally thought that that someone I, was gonna I, wake up that it was a dream up until we got to kind of the the middle section i felt that it was gonna i thought with with the rec room and then with the two lads uh, smoking weed or crack or whatever it is they're yeah, smoking around the fire I'm to hear what they're doing. i don't think he quite quite pulls it off but i think is quite a conscious um attempt to make the film leave this dream world and intrude into the real world yeah. it, it's kind of trying to re- replay her journey from being in isolation to 
joining our world. I was disappointed by a number of things in this movie, but disappointed in the sense not of something that I was bringing to the movie before watching it. It, uh, <laughs> disappointed it wasn't with your the, fault, it was the, their fault. Yes, uh, with the rules <laughs> of, the, of the film itself. Uh, for one is the music that at moments the music is unbelievable but at huge sections it is just this pulse but it's actually uh, it becomes in the mix either too loud or too low to be effective yeah. in the sense that it became almost annoying uh, beyond the, the objective of creating that sense of uh, of horror uh, the other thing that I was disappointed is that the gardens only seemed okay didn't seem award-winning as per the, the original <laughs> video uh but the the biggest disappointment was uh when the daft punk thing and uh, the the guy uh, you the, know the uh, psychonaut yeah the psychonaut no sentinaut the sentinauts do nothing really there yeah, it's, it's such a disappointment why are they there really it was about well, their security but then they it's a baby inside like i yeah. felt that was really creepy but more could have been done in, in the the reveal the so iconic like moment yeah and then nothing even the design of the suits and everything i think is really and then her escape it's like the Kanye West stronger video <laughs> yeah. I mean, during her escape the biggest influence is John McTiernan it is yes, like die, die hard, hard. Yeah, <laughs> die hard in a big way <laughs> oh my god even the exterior of the building and everything like oh that's uh, brilliant but the exterior of the building although they obviously didn't build the building uh, is, uh, is an actual greenhouse or, or what's the name it's an what's arboretum, the botanic yeah. arboretum yeah. I did actually think of um, but it's silent running silent running yeah, yeah, yeah I did actually uh, think of silent running a I lot and I googled the ship and the, the, the actual <laughs> arboretum is exactly the same design as ah. silent running uh, and funny enough I'm downloading sil- silent running as we speak because it made me want to watch it I haven't seen no, I've seen it before, oh, okay. but uh, but it just made me want to watch okay, it again. Okay, well, that, that may possibly In have to be Amazon, a pick for right? <laughs> But I don't know if you guys copped it. Well, not copped it. I don't even know if it was intentional. But when she leaves the 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 greenhouse, the the actual picture has uh, a a flicker like a a scratch on the film, and it's the shape of a person, and it's white. Oh, so that sounds intentional been, to me. But if it's not, it's complete. It's not very clear, and it's only two frames. I had to. It took forever to find the like, <laughs> correct frame. <laughs> but yeah, I found like when she comes out. If there was more of that, of like unifying uh, the movie that was before, yeah, with the movie that he created. I didn't like you said. It's a a great idea, uh, bridging that gap. But even if he made it bigger, I know that the budget is quite small. But if the if the encounter had been in a garden and she just goes into the somebody's back garden and they're having a barbecue like pure Americana, like the the vision of Reagan's eighties yeah. kind of thing, especially with the callback to Reagan giving the speech and, and the, the fact that we got jacket, jacket yeah, 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 and the contrast and all that uh, that idea of. Uh, uh, and as well, I I think that it's a a criticism of the the baby boomer um, generation uh, generation on not only on their views, not the only the culture, kind of. yeah, not only that side is that it's the the options you had there was either counterculture 
ultra conservatism is that there was nowhere in between to go you couldn't be somebody in the middle uh, yeah. at that stage so you think he's using the kind of reagan setting as as kind of the other side of that as the conservative side of it yeah it's a, the effect of the cold war you either were a communist or a full-blooded there was American. no shades of gray yeah <laughs> and well now we're getting to that again so i think in the context of modern <laughs> we're not times, getting we're not getting anywhere we are there <laughs> Um, well, well, like it's everything that we keep seeing is like that's why I like the hunt for the wilder people. There was no Trump in that movie. Every, every single week we get a fucking reference in there. Like we don't even live in America. I think it's quite a funny thing. Uh, it doesn't really affect the film itself, but when you, you mentioned the budget, um, because the film was actually his father was a filmmaker as well, uh, Cosmato's father. He has a and, great name, by the way. Oh yeah, so yeah. good Greek. Ah. And uh, this film was mostly founded with residuals from Tombstone, which his father directed. Uh, and I think that's quite curious because it ties back to one of your earlier podcasts being uh, another ah. retelling of the Wyatt Earp story. Oh my God, that's a lovely little tie. You also did the uh, you're, you're, you're such a dedicated podcast listener. This is he, great. You're the best guest. Yeah, 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 no, uh, well, I've listened to all the ones that I haven't seen the film, that I've oh. seen. But yeah, like it, it, and his... I know it doesn't affect the actual film itself, but Cosmato said in an interview that uh, to some extent Beyond the Black Rainbow was an attempt to marry his father's popcorn films because his father directed First Blood Part 2, Cobra oh with Stallone. Oh my God, and really? His mother was an avant-garde video installation artist. Oh my uh, God, so that's exactly he, what this film is. Yeah, he wanted to marry <laughs> both things. And as well, he said that when he was a child, he that's used amazing. to frequent a video store called Video Addict. Oh. And he always used to stand in front of the horror section, but he was too little, so his parents wouldn't let him actually watch the movies. But he almost he always used to imagine what the actual films that were inside those covers were like. So his intentions for the film were to make a film from the nineteen eighties that actually doesn't exist. So so that's all <laughs> so stuff that's right so up that, my alley. That's I, why it feels a bit muddled. <laughs> it, it's like if Kevin Smith wanted to make a movie yeah, about that's actual good. movies instead of a movie about himself yes <laughs> but the, the other part i had one of the the biggest laughs i had watching a movie in years <laughs> watching this movie when rosemary the nurse goes and finds the book margot the nurse margot sorry margot the nurse sorry <laughs> uh goes and finds the book with all the the details on the process and then it's like fucking torture uh mutants and then it's like penis and then vulva <gasps> vagina look at the vagina and it, like the actual vagina comes out of the paper in this weird special <laughs> effect like it is the most horrifying thing I've, and i think now with the context of what you said obviously that makes sense but sitting there yeah. not knowing that yeah. i was like this guy has serious issues with vaginas <laughs> like, it's uh, kind of a funny one because enter the void got mentioned a lot when uh beyond the black rainbow came out as that, that's that one of the first things in, i thought of that and of the skin uh, Gaspar yeah. now if yeah. there's one thing he's obsessed uh, yeah. with is anatomy well I think that because the more I thought about it like and like the being crushed by with a the weird like so much so much of it as well as like these weird like hazy pink hues and uh, funnily enough the going back to something you said earlier uh, the that pulsating sound that was kind of annoying you a little bit Oh, cool. uh, yeah well that, that, I assume that's kind of the, the weird that is the triangle that is yeah. a photon machine uh, which is used to put people on, in trance in therapy. 
Ah. And it is a combination of light and that insistent. Yeah. And, and he incorporates that into the, into the well, like It's not the, the actual sound that was the issue. It's no, where it's, it is in the, when, sits in the mix. Yeah. Is that when it should be in the middle of the mix, it's too loud. And when it should be loud, it's too, too low. Loud. So it loses the effect and it becomes, instead of uh, something that is uh, creating that trance effect, especially when the visuals are that strong and distracting, not in a bad way as in the you... The because the mix is off, it calls attention to the to the sound. That if you're not paying attention to it, it will create the the desired effect. Yeah, and that moment it really works. Mm. That's why I noticed. I made a note in my head about uh, talking about it. That even in the same section, because the rest of the the sound design goes low and the the room room continues go like when he's turning on the 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 fucking uh, pyramid that controls her like stops her powers <laughs> pyramid uh, it is pyramid. a fucking pyramid of life <laughs> it's uh it's something straight out of like a radio gaga album <laughs> the video for radio gaga but I, I i did think that the that the movie got to uh points of let's say it's almost like a wave of yeah. a movie and i did enjoy that as a structure that's why i was so disappointed with the ending itself allowed myself to follow the logic of the movie until it started becoming too much one thing because before that the modelness of it yeah allowed it to get away with a lot of uh, not having a logical center to it because there was so much going on and then when she but leaves just, the, like, the, the speed yeah <laughs> it becomes focused but paradoxically unfocused yeah yeah as an overall piece because it doesn't uh, the whole point of it is that uh, you go where the your mind is wondering while mm. watching it mm. uh, what an image is gonna create a, it's almost like the rorschach effect in a movie uh, the 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 rorschach test in the movie the uh, just by sitting there two people might feel differently about the moment let's say i, I feel like at least i felt that way but at the end, it becomes, uh, it, like, and that's why I didn't have that he looks like fucking uh, Ryan Reynolds in Wolverine Origins. <laughs> he uh, does look a bit like... What? Um, as, the, as Deadpool, like that's the... That's an unspeakably bad movie, but he, he does look a little bit like... Uh, he does, a, I think he looks a lot and quite intentionally to Pinhead, which brings it back to Hellraiser, like you were saying, uh, and... And in some ways, uh, Hellraiser is another text that I think is a massive influence in the film. Yeah. The idea of crossing over into another side. And you do get the impression that in some ways the black rainbow is ecstatic. But at the same time, you come back, you come out of it and you are pretty much destroyed as a human being. Mm. So I think I, I, I think it's a film that there's not necessarily that much substance to it. But at the same time, when it's referencing all these films, I don't think it's, I I don't think it's quite as a superficial uh, referencing of films. I think he does try to establish a certain dialogue with with these films, mm. and I think you hear people talk, you hear uh, filmmakers being influenced by Quentin Tarantino, and usually what that means is that you have Dur- characters yeah, sitting just, around having long conversations about pop culture, mm. uh, dialogue, 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 dialogue. But few filmmakers are influenced by Tarantino on a filmmaking level of doing what Tarantino does, which is 
taking his favorite films and kind of yeah. transposing them through his own sensibilities. Yeah. And I think this guy does that. Uh, well, I, think, I think like when the parts of this, when it feels like it's really working and that, like, I don't think there there is nothing, there's no problem with taking so many different genres and so many different influences. And, and whenever it, it feels coherent that he's taking them all and making them work to his own and his own style like but all the influences are still clear but it feels like his own like in those moments it it's like what you said that it, it feels like it's really working and it, it manages to keep up the kind of the, the creepy unsettling like horror aspect of it as well um, like in those moments you can really see that it's working but it, then whenever it starts to slide again it, it just it's For it me- loses you for me, it's uh, uh, I think that I wish that the movie had been even more batshit crazy than it already is. I think that it once it goes beyond the black rainbow, yeah, and you it, call it, it, that it, it yeah. lose all logic. If you're not gonna be logical about well, not, it, not even not even logic, because I don't think this film is illogical or that it doesn't make sense within you its own. You know, when you're asking you're asking the film to be like Mulholland Drive, once <laughs> the blue box is open. And the film literally just explodes. Well, like that's where the, that's the where film was going. Yeah. That's the thing is that if they, yeah, to I'm bring not, it back to this think, weird ending that of of I'm like sort of like hammering home its its kind of um the the aspects of like um American culture and it's like what it's it, what it's kind of criticizing like when it, those become more blatant mm. and as well as kind of like just the weird tonal shifts it doesn't uh, quite. I do think that the very last shot, uh, and this could be just me, I don't know, I have no idea if this was his intention, but the very last shot when she is about to skip over the fence and enter this identical suburb, and, yeah. there is, and there is this one e. house, E.T. E. Yeah, that it shot. Feels like, it it feels like she's ridiculous. literally about to walk into yeah. Elliot's shed and she's <laughs> going to be found by that, some little that's kid. That's definitely and intentional. And she's, she's 11. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, she I think, wouldn't fit in a bike basket and it's quite funny because because if you think about it then you're having this film that is this fucked up horrifying two hours coming on and then she's literally about to walk into a Spielberg film and if you've just seen her like the next two weeks of her life yeah. it would have been her riding around bicycles and with kids eggos. and being told what yeah, Pop-Tarts are and all that just the, the, the weird blue flicker the, coming out of the 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 living rooms mm-hmm. that is not even like a real tv kind of thing is yeah. like that soft 70s yeah. uh, late 70s early the 80s tube. spielberg i do think as well uh not that i'm saying speaking from experience but i think obviously a film should work no matter where you watch it uh yeah but but i do think that this film was almost designed for the cinema not just the cinema but it's the kind of film that you should watch it at midnight in some crap uh, to screen cinema yeah with a room full of people that have seen the film 20 times already uh, it, 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 it feels Possibly it feels like a film that is at least yeah, that is designed I'm, yeah is by design made to be a cult film yeah the it, kind of film that people just memorize yeah uh, and i can imagine like i like if i ever come across a midnight screening of the film uh, i will go in a new york minute and and i think i'll have but, a, lot of, uh, the, a lot of fun just to yeah. do a callback i remember it it's all good uh, we're fine we're fine the callback to to what you were saying that the film doesn't have that much substance is that i think that style is substance that the idea that there's a something called style over substance is that if you're doing a, a movie that 
thematically or story wise there's not a lot to it it's just that your style doesn't take over that lack of substance there i don't think but if- that there's because this like when you actually write down the actual plot it has a plot it's not yeah like- it's not directionless like it has mm. a you know straight points of and I, yeah, yeah, but like it's a, a it's approach to plot well, is like yeah. a John Goodman's approach to dieting. It's not. Well, I, <laughs> I think it's more it's a, it's a, it's approach to pacing is more it's a, but um yeah like it's it's like a even when you're saying about style, but I think that it, what this film is doing a lot of time is creating that kind of mood and like that you know permeating everything within the within the screen, and I think it's very successful at that. Like I, I don't I don't think you style over substance is is necessarily what's wrong with this film and no, not no. necessarily that i i don't really like that oh, i didn't either, say that. i didn't say i, I was saying yeah, the sorry. opposite you didn't you didn't uh... I, I i didn't think it has a lot of thematic substance okay. i, 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 I okay, don't think yeah. it's a film that is that is trying to to say this is bad or this is good or i have certain views on certain things i think yeah. to some extent the film is a vehicle for him to to he's he, he is marrying uh, the abstract with the mainstream, mm. you know, but the, not not our current mainstream, like 80s mainstream. Oh, yeah, yeah, so that's why, you know, like it's in, not always successfully, but does the, you, you have to look at it and go for its flaws, you know, well done to this guy. Like, cause oh, yeah, it is, 100%. Like, well, like it, no matter what, it is a vision, like it is a... It is a movie that it is, even though for one hour and 40 minutes, I'd say that only about 40 minutes of it is really, really good. And the rest, I'm not in love with. It has two moments that really are forever going to stick in my mind, which is when they go beyond the the black rainbow obviously but that whole sequence with the the really jet white yeah yeah. you just see the eyes and the lips but the others when uh, after she kills the the nurse that uh, he turns up the 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 pyramid all the the way up and the smoke uh, the stamina, and the music really comes up and it's, it's almost like the score from fucking Tron Legacy or yeah. something that is, I, don't know I think at certain points um, the actual music in the soundtrack is actually pretty great like that it's, it's proper retro like this this movie is retro porn like it's mm-hmm. you know in so many different ways like but in, considering all the influences that we've talked about uh, cinematically my biggest disappointment in the movie is how little camera movement there is that like the scenes that there is a lot of camera movement with the the music and the pacing it makes it stand up it's like when she's crawling away and the camera yeah, well, is going we have some very slow movement like and slow like tracking shots and stuff yeah but there's entire scenes that the camera is just literally on sticks without any panning even when they i feel like the out. focus is so narrow that they probably couldn't move the fucking camera because there's certain scenes where it's outrageous like that one shot whenever he's lying on the phone and it's, I mean, there's probably Rosemary, about, you should have answered the phone. There's probably about a millimeter. Rosemary, there's probably about a millimeter. Oh, that's in focus. Rosemary. That I, that, that one I got right. <laughs> but I, I do think, um, I do think that uh, the camera movement to some extent would have interfered with the trans-like uh, mood yeah, that you're trying I, to establish. I don't have a problem with. I, I no, I think that it would have increased if you watch. It's so like it, 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 the. 
the holy mountain and stuff uh, like that that is not just sitting there it's that movement even if it's very slow that's the thing it's not that yeah you, it's adding well there that's not, what i'm saying there is yeah. slow but, uh, movement in this though but uh but that's the thing like uh, with the holy mountain this is something i'm sure like uh the guy seems like a very well-versed filmmaker so i'm sure he, i'm sure he has seen the holy mountain but i know for a fact he mentioned last year in my Rimbad as probably his key text. Well, i haven't seen it so uh, like I can't and that film it, it is very much the camera is still and, and you they... have slowly moving figures in the camera uh, incidentally you should definitely watch that film it's <laughs> such a good film uh for purists Oh, oh my God! Uh, I genuinely I watched a couple of years ago, and I I hadn't even heard of it, and mm-hmm. my flatmate uh, had it downloaded for us to watch, and I genuinely was sitting there for two hours, and I couldn't tell what had happened, but it was different. Uh, okay, Ricardo, what was your favorite thing in the movie? Uh, my favorite thing is when the movie actually, when all the different pieces uh, come together. Uh, more than like a Venn diagram, it almost feels like a Jenga piece. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. You're taking bits out, and uh, the more unstable it becomes. But when it starts waving, that it's about to fall, but it's like so daring, it is unbelievable. And I'll call it the bravery of the director of doing that. That it, yeah, well, it, you can't, it, you can't, you can't say that this guy's not you know, the brave. He has some cojones. But at the same uh, time, uh, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay would say, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you can really understand why this movie was uh, self-funded uh, or it was a Kickstarter or? Uh, like it was most mostly money from Tombstone from one of his dad's films. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think the film cost more than, than okay. one or two million. It was so. uh, 1.5 million Canadian dollars, <laughs> which is the most polite dollar. I do like um, I do euro. like spotting the Canadian actors and, and seeing their like uh, American or British counterparts. So it's like... Barry, <laughs> what are you can- talking about? <laughs> it's kind of like Canadian Anthony Hopkins. Canadian. Like- <laughs> I, I, I'll also make a mention before uh, moving on to you, Orla, uh, for... Uh, your man that plays uh, what's his face Mercurio Arborio which is a deadly name Scott Highlands his voice it's gonna be engraved in my mind as a nightmare every time that I hear it I think that you should do voiceover work and just fucking maybe even do Scar or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah well they are making another Lion King so oh live action Lion King exactly what we needed um well my favorite thing <laughs> yes orla what's your favorite thing <laughs> every fucking week um probably uh the just the the how it renders the 80s like just the the color palette the i think it's just the you know everything from the art department down just everything is fantastic i think it, it's really it just it manages to it's the kind of thing that filmmakers try to do and fails miserably all the time be it in like you know indie movies or mainstream movies of trying to replicate an era in like really small details and despite the fact that there are very few like wide shots where you're seeing like you know props in the background or anything in this i think it it manages to capture that 70s and 80s um just kind of sci-fi aesthetic and not even just sci-fi but just you know general in general it has the look of what the 80s would have looked like in the mind of somebody in the 60s 
Yeah, it feels like it was. It feels eighties, but that it's like retro eighties. If you know what I mean, that it feels like it would have felt old, old fashioned in the eighties. That it would have felt like you know, yeah. It's it's just it's really well handled, and it, for such a like small movie as well, I think it, it's the design is fantastic. What's your favorite thing, Felipe? Um, I think uh, everything that we've been talking about uh, about him directly referencing his favorite films and some like mm. seminal 80s and 70s uh horror and sci-fi texts but building with them and, and building this dialogue uh, i think this one to be honest is pretty much tailor-made for me because uh, <laughs> because i'm like he's a man after my own heart like uh, his favorite films are my favorite films uh i'm absolutely crazy about genre filmmaking <laughs> Jesus Christ, if he referenced on my head would literally have exploded but uh <laughs> Yeah, so Especially so I think it, it is one of those films that it, I genuinely like. I am his demographic for this for okay. this film. I I do obviously have certain reservations, but like the ending in particular. Yeah. But but overall, is it is, it works is for my you. cup of tea? All right, Orla, what's your least favorite thing? Um, just probably the tonal shifts because that's the re- that's the really kind of disappointing. But I think that it just. Yeah, and not quite grasping and holding on to all the different things that it has, and just it kind of falling apart and and kind of becoming a weird mess at the end. But even though I felt like there were more things that I disliked about this film, there was enough that I liked that made me, you know, I didn't just kind of give up and sit back and go, no, I, you know, this is not working on any level. It worked on levels, and it is that it, you're just trying to like, you know, you want it to just to like just change itself slightly to 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 adjust itself you're cheering the movie on it's like yeah. your kid that's kind of good at football but not great like he keeps fucking up and you're like come on cross the ball you little bastard <laughs> jesus you'll be a bad soccer mom or that was another sam neil reference oh yes <laughs> anyways ricardo please favorite thing um well uh not that it goes into the spectrum or least favorite thing. I think that we'd be remiss to not acknowledge that John Carpenter is also an influence in this oh, movie. Yeah. That we oh, yeah, yeah, upon. yeah. I think he was mentioned earlier. Or if not, I meant to mention him. Yeah, me too. So <laughs> I'm just making so, sure but, that I get it there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my least favorite thing, I think, is that the, the little um, moments that he plants in the movie and not in in the traditional storytelling way of planting something and the, there's going to be a payoff later. It's just like the centronauts and the music and mm. everything else that I felt that it established something that I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to get there. And then it doesn't. And especially the ending after the he goes beyond the, the black rainbow. Which you the, have said about 14 times at this point, so we're really plugging the title. <laughs> yes, but it's like an action in the actual movie. <laughs> when he goes past the threshold, Orla, uh, he... Uh, just I, say Black Gate. Just I, say Black Gate. <laughs> the Black Gate. Oh, yeah, of Mordor. The, 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 the voice of sorrow. Black Goo, not Black Gate. Oh, okay. <laughs> this never listens a, to me. This is Rainbow Gate now. Uh, but I, I thought that it was going to build up to like this massive ending of something that I w- would have to sit to really understand. Yeah, and, and watch at least twice. Yeah, and this is that the ending is by far the least interesting part of the movie. And 
I think that all that build up led to nothing is like Shakespeare says uh, what is it uh, sort of sounding fury yeah. signifying oh, nothing. Kinda... I do know the speech but I'm not gonna show up uh, Felipe what's your least favorite thing in the movie uh, my least favorite thing was the ending as well although I have to say that I disliked the ending a lot more the first time I watched it than the second because I cut the E.T. reference on the second time and, and just the idea that she <laughs> so was that, about to walk so into, that, yeah. into we, a Spielberg I, movie actually yeah. made me quite happy about the very, very, very end. The very, the very end. Well, like I didn't have a problem um, with the, the last two minutes of the movie. I had a problem with the yeah, 10 minutes yeah, preceding yeah, it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's kind of annoying because when he's driving on the car and when he's driving on the car and you have that green light shining on him and yeah. the music is building up, you're, you're literally... You've seen this crescendo and then it cuts to heavy metal music. Yeah, and it's so bizarre. When that, when that heard, but, uh, I was like, I don't understand. That moment Why reminded me here? of a uh, so uh, girl walks home alone at night when uh, they're driving. It was like another <laughs> one of these endings. Always <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, trying to get your digs in. But no, like, uh, I really liked that bit of the movie. It was the, 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 uh, the part anyways, that I, let's, let's not go backwards. Okay, uh, <laughs> final thoughts, uh, Felipe. Uh, I'd just like to say uh, I enjoyed this very much and uh, thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. And, uh, this was great. Voila. Uh, uh, I enjoyed this also and I'm also glad that I saw this movie because it was an experience. If, even if it was a frustrating experience, it was. Like, it, it is. It's an it's a all-encompassing movie. You kind of need to sit and give it an awful lot of attention. It's not, you know, it's not a popcorn flick. There's a movie with Randy Quaid and Frank Whaley is this that, is a very relevant reference now? Well, it is a relevant reference that, like, Frank Whaley is a scientist that he has, like, a time machine that you can travel back in 20 seconds back, but it is in the middle of nowhere in Texas. But it's also that idea, it's the thing that was funny about the movie, because the rest is a piece of shit and worthless, is, besides Randy Quaid's southern accent, which is hilarious, <laughs> is the sense of, like, this huge institution like right next to the suburbs doing all this shit yeah. and then it's like where's the cleaners at the where's the cleaners at yes right enough <laughs> but uh well like I, I myself really enjoyed the movie um for those 40 minutes i think that it is worth watching an hour and 40 minutes even though only 40 minutes is that great because yeah. it is well, you a will, special 40 minutes. You will think about it afterwards. Yeah. Like it'll, it'll linger with you. But I still think that Cobra is a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Should have used the money from that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was um, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, thank you, Felipe. Thank um, you. Uh, thanks for coming over. It's yeah. good My to pleasure. Uh, great experience. Uh, if anyone, I'll give you um, a punch after this. If anyone uh, would like to um, also appear in our podcast, it's only a small fee of 500 euro and a creative can for Ricardo. So, um, <laughs> Canadian Molson specifically. Yeah, yeah we're actually, gonna... uh, Ricardo is drinking Canadian, so um, he's keeping with the theme. And next week we're back on one of our normal episodes. Uh, Orla is picking the movie. What movie are we watching, Orla? Uh, Yorgos Lanthimosis? Is that his name? That's how you say it? Lang- Anyways, Dogtooth. So, <laughs> uh, for anyone who's seen The Lobster, this was his uh, preceding film. So He likes making movies with uh, animal names. And we, uh, we just we got tired of um, uh, two English language movies, so we're going back <laughs> to subtitles. Uh, so <laughs>
Um, if you want to find us, uh, you can uh, go to at the rec game on Twitter, the recommendation game on Facebook, or send us an email on the recommendation game at gmail.com. And if you want to find Felipe, you must go to the woods and knock on his cabin door. Where because he's living with Hillary. Because he's living, he has no Twitter, no <laughs> Facebook, uh, just got a smartphone there. Um, so he's living in the 80s, actually. Yeah. It's um, very long hair and a heavy beard. <laughs> what you call that heavy? It's more Mexican-like. But... It's feathered. It's feathered, mm-hmm. you know? It's, uh... Hello-y. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I've been Felipe Deacon. I hope to be Ricardo Deacon forever. <laughs> and I've been Orla McGuinness. See you next week. Thanks for listening.